You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. All right, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, the host and founder of the Seeking Excellence Podcast. It's great to be with you today. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. I have a fun, what's going to be a long, drawn-out story to share with you today from a flight that I was on. Um, Man, what was this, like a month ago at this point? Yeah, it was like August 10th or 8th or something like that. I flew out to Harrisburg, and so it was a pretty long day. You know, I had flown... From Denver to Charlotte, had to work like a half day before that, drive to the airport, fly to Charlotte, um, get to Charlotte, and had, I can't remember what my layover was like, honestly. It wasn't super long, though, like 45 minutes, maybe an hour. Um, got postponed, delayed um, a little bit longer, so I think I was ended up there for like two hours, maybe two and a half hours, and it was, uh, yeah, pretty solid. Everything's fine, and as I'm going to get on the flight... Uh, I was not flying Southwest like I normally do. I was actually flying with like United or something like that. And, uh, or maybe it was American. American's usually my backup. I was going to get on the flight and I see these two ladies and they were uh, friends or coworkers or something. And they were talking about how they weren't sitting together. And I was like, hey, do you want to sit in my seat? You know, I'm like, I don't, there's not really a bad seat on this plane. It was one of those flights. It was so small. It was like one row on one side of the plane. And then there's two seats on the other row, right? Like, I guess like columns, if you will. Like, so <laughs> there was like a whole on the left side of the plane, there's like just one line of seats, right? There's no, nobody sitting next to you. It's automatic aisle and window. And then on the other side, there was just two seats. And so I'm just like, there's really not a better or worse situation. Like, it's not like I'm trading for a middle seat, right? So I was just like, hey, um, do you guys want to take my seat? And that way you guys can actually sit together or whatever. Obviously, you know each other. I don't, I'm, I'm traveling alone. They were like, no, it's fine. We work together. We spent the whole week together, whatever. And so um, we get on the flight and it just so happens that the one of the two of them that's much more energetic happens to be who I'm sitting next to, um, which, oh no, we actually already knew that. That was why I said, do you want to switch seats? So I'd already kind of put together that they had a seat next to mine. Um, yeah, because otherwise it wouldn't make any sense. So I'm sitting with this really energetic woman who's from Harrisburg super super outgoing she was really really fun super high energy and there was just something about it you know and if you've ever done 
or been a part of any like airport or traveling evangelization, you know that there's just times that can be hard to explain, but just times where I feel like the Lord is like, do not put in your headphones right now. You know, like, I know you might want to chill or whatever. Like God's like, dude, do not put in your headphones right now. Like something is, is happening in this flight. Like you're going to have a good conversation. You're going to have a good experience, whatever it is. And so I was really getting that energy, getting that kind of experience, you know, getting that messaging from the Lord, if you will. And so I'm like, all right, I'm not going to put my headphones in. I'm going to talk to this one for a little bit. Let's see what's up. And so I'm just kind of, we're just kind of getting to know each other, you know, asking questions or whatever. She asked me what I do for work. I talk about working for Hallow. She's like, what's that? I explain it. And it wasn't usually like that is where it will start to come up, you know, is it's like, oh, like you're Catholic or whatever. But we actually kept talking for a bit longer about each other's families, me recently getting married, all this kind of stuff. Then eventually she was like, um, yeah, you know, we got my, I got my kids baptized or something like that. And I was like, oh, like infant baptism, that's a pretty Catholic thing. There are a few others that do that. I mean, I was baptized as an infant in the Lutheran church, but it's like, you know, that's, that's fairly Catholic. That's at least, you know, more Orthodox um, Christian. So I was just like, hey, I was like, yeah, are you Catholic? She said, yeah, I was actually raised, I went to Holy Name, which if you're, uh, I know not many people from Harrisburg listen to my podcast, because most people from Harrisburg uh, hate me, but um, not hate me, that might be strong, but <laughs> don't like me. <laughs> but, you know, I, she was talking about, if, you, if you're from Harrisburg, you know Holy Name is the huge Catholic school. I played football for them for a couple years. Um, and some of my best friends with the Holy Name growing up and stuff like that. But anyways, so she's like, yeah, with the Holy Name, she didn't go there for school, but she did her CCD there, which is kind of like religious ed. It's called different things in different places, faith formation for kids, whatever. She did her, I don't even know what CCD stands for, but I just remember talking about it when we were going to Catholic school growing up. And so she did CCD at Holy Name. And I started asking her, you know, oh, oh, do you still go to mass? Do you still go to mass or whatever? And she's like, no, I don't go to mass anymore. And I said, oh, okay. You know, I was like, and she didn't get married in the church, but got both of her, I think she has two sons, baptized. And so um, I'm like, okay, that's really interesting. So here, me being, I, this is kind of where I felt like, okay, now, like, now, now this is it, right? <laughs> this, is, this is, ladies and gentlemen, what we were here for, right? This is why we did not put our headphones in. This is what we're going to get into. So we proceed for the next like hour or 15, it was, a very, it was a pretty short flight, to talk about all types of different things. And so my first question to her, because um, I was genuinely curious about this, and I think when you have a genuine curiosity, people can feel that, right? Like I wasn't judgmental. I was like, hey, like no judgment or anything, but I'm just, I'm really curious about people in your situation. Can you explain to me why you chose to not get married in the church you don't go to church now, but you got your kids baptized. Like, what was kind of your reasoning or motivation behind that? And there wasn't really like a profound answer from what I recall. And and remember, remind you, like um, a lot of things in here, I'm not trying to disrespect her responses. And um, this woman's name was, was Brittany. I'm, I'm not going to get into her last name, but we'll call her Brittany because that was her name. And she tagged me in a post on, on social media and she was really great. We had a great conversation, a great time. But I just want to give this kind of caveat, disclaimer that if I forget something she said, it doesn't mean that she didn't have anything good to say. I just it just was a month ago, right? But when I asked her that question, there wasn't really like much of an answer. It was just kind of like, yeah, you know, um, 
kind of felt like the right thing to do, but I wouldn't get them baptized again if, um, you know, if I just had them now. And I was like, oh, tell, tell me more. And so she proceeds to tell me about um, how much she disagrees with the church on the issue of abortion. And within that, like, was really adamant about holy name being, um, like, too, for lack of a better term, like, too aggressive about the issue of abortion, right? Like, they brought it up too much. Now, my experience with the holy name when I go home now is um, I would not call it an excessively uh, orthodox. I don't think you can be excessively orthodox, but it, there's no, I don't think there's any parish in Harrisburg other than the TLM parish where it's like very orthodox, like Reverend Orthodox Novus Ordo. I don't think it exists. Um, and so I'm like, I mean, I know one of the priests, I know two of the priests of holy name, one of them semi-personally and one of them. I've just known of because he's been in the area for a really long time. And I'm like, I can't imagine them being like staunchly, (laughs) aggressively pro-life. I know that they are pro-life, but I don't think that they're like, you know, bashing people with it, right? Like, I don't think they're just like going, you know, just like to the point or or being aggressive with it um, and not being pastoral, like to the point of not being pastoral, right? And we can get into a whole debate on that, but... I, I would I would struggle to imagine that that's the case. Okay, now <laughs> we then go on to talk about some other things, and I'm asking her about the faith, and she's asking me questions, and we're talking about Mary and all kinds of stuff, and I'm like, yeah, I I start to pick up on certain things she said, like she's like, yeah, like that, like we learned all kinds of stuff at CCD, like about Jesus splitting the ocean and all kinds of stuff, and she and I don't know that it was exactly that, but I know she said something about Jesus splitting a body of water that was not the, a sea and it was referring to Moses splitting the Red Sea. And it was just like little statements like that, little moments like that. They gave me brief glimpses into um, the reality that she was one of the people in the world, one of the many people in the world, unfortunately, who went through a substantial amount of Catholic education and formation as a kid that now feels like she has a good understanding of Catholicism even though she doesn't. And so I have to be the person that's going to kind of figure out, okay, how am I going to address that? Um, how am I going to navigate this conversation? And and you really have to, in these moments, one of the things I think is so important is to pray through that, right? Like the Lord might not want you to just break out everything. And so you got to be thinking to yourself, okay, how am I going to uh, address these issues and talk about some of these things and hopefully shed some light on some areas that she might not know about. In the midst of all of this, because I like to talk about faith and politics, <laughs> I decide to ask her, I'm like, hey, do you consider yourself like pretty liberal? She's like, oh yeah, definitely, definitely liberal. And I'm like, okay, like progressive liberal? And she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, do you, are you a socialist? And she's like, yeah. And so I just kind of have, you know, I watch a lot of PragerU and these like Instagram reels and stuff like that, where you like interview people on the streets. And I love those. I wish I could do that full time. I think it'd be my favorite thing in the world. I should, I could just do it part time. I do have the time to do that. I guess I just don't do it enough. So maybe I'll head up to like CSU one day and poll students, interview them on campus and get kicked off. That'd be fun. But I'm moved by all this to ask her, what's your definition of socialism? What do you think socialism is? Because she's like capitalism, capitalism's bad. And at this point, we're getting into a lot of um, repeated talking points. And based on the experience that I'd had before, of just kind of recognizing, okay, I feel like she feels somewhat confident about what Catholicism is and what she rejected when she rejected Catholicism. 
I have a hunch that it's possible that it's also the case with capitalism. I have a hunch that that's also the case with most things conservative, right? Now, what I think is a mistake that a lot of people make in a situation like this is you want to say, I'm, I'm passionately pro-life. I want other people to be pro-life. And so it's easy to want to go ahead and say, all right, um, I'm like, I know she disagrees on abortion. Let's just talk about abortion for the next hour. That's not what you do. That's not what I like to do. Um, what I think you continue to do is ask more questions, right? Start to get a feel. You have to understand your audience, right? You have to understand the person you're talking to too often, whether it's family or friends. We get to one issue and then we're just like hammer that down, right? But I asked her to give a definition of socialism and she's kind of like, well, what would you define it as? And I'm like, okay, I'll explain it. And then I was like, I think we should do like, I think it'd be fun to do like a, uh, a little litmus test. You seem kind of unsure where you're on the political spectrum. And so I'm like, we should do a little litmus test on, you know, your thoughts on uh, political issues. Right. And she's like, yeah, we'll do that too. And she's getting excited. She's very open-minded, very, very kind. Like I said, very kind, very friendly, very humble, very outgoing, awesome person. And so we're having a blast. I mean, we're talking it up. And uh, along with this, so I'm like, all right, so I table this. So I table the the Catholicism stuff. I table um, what we had kind of talked about going into her now view of spirituality, which is very much like spiritual but not religious, the universe manifesting, all that kind of stuff. And I table um, this. I, I kind of give a, a definition of socialism. And then I'm like, okay, um, let's move past that for a second. Let's set that aside. And uh, I think, you know, the Socratic method, so if you don't know anything about Socrates, what he did was he basically taught people by asking questions as much as possible, and then eventually he would share. And I love, I will never forget being a sophomore in college and coming across this line of reasoning and this way of kind of interrogating and educating other people, and I was just like in love with it. I was just like, this, this is so smart. I mean, it's absolutely just like, I think the greatest example of like mental chess, right? To say, okay, I'm going to ask you questions that are basically going to lead you in a certain direction and not like they're leading questions, but you're ultimately aiming and searching for the truth. And so it's like, how can I build up this, this statue or this building basically that will get us to this destination, right? Or build this bridge from where you are to where we want you to go. And that place being the truth, right? So there's one thing of like manipulating through questions and leading questions and things like that, which are not good. But you can also do it in a way that's very much um, genuine, and you're just looking uh, to, to lead people to the truth, right? So you're just asking these open-ended questions. And so that's what I attempted to do. But I'm, I'm listening to this woman, and one thing that I think was, and I shared this in a recent podcast, if you saw me on Instagram share about the Diaries of a High Achiever podcast, or Diaries of High Achievers podcast, I never remember which is plural, Diaries of High Achievers podcast, Great podcast with my friend Corey Singleton and um, Alicia, um, I forget her last name, OPS, but uh, she's great. They're both great, and we had a great conversation. And I kind of talked about this, and just like my love for truth and excellence. And the thing that a lot of people, I think, mess up, right, when it comes to evangelization is we always want to go to what I call branch issues instead of getting to the root issues, right? So imagine a tree, and kind of like give me like a cartoon tree, right, like something that's like on a piece of paper where you see the ground is, is straight across and you see the roots underneath the tree, you see the tree, you see the branches, right? And the leaves. One thing that my friend Brittany was on this flight was very adamant about was 
the perpetual virginity of Mary, right? Like she was very convinced that Mary just lied to Joseph. She got pregnant by some dude, um, had an affair, got pregnant, whatever. That's obviously not something I like to hear, right? I have, as you probably know, Mary tattooed on my arm. She's a huge part of my conversion. I view her as my heavenly mother, and I love and adore Mary very, very much. But is me debating this woman on the perpetual virginity of Mary for the next 30 minutes the best use of our time? Absolutely not. Nor, in my opinion, is debating abortion right away. And so what we did was we kind of went back and I said, okay, uh, you have to establish some basic things. And so the first thing kind of going with the socialism was I talked about relativism. And I said, one of the biggest issues, in my opinion, of our time is that people believe that there is no such thing as truth. And if there's no such thing as truth, then we have nothing to go on. And basically nothing can be real. And she's like, so what is relativism? I said, well, relativism is, relativism is believing that one thing can be true for you and then another thing can be true for me. So that's why you hear a lot of people talking about living my truth or live your truth or express, express your truth. And I said, but there is just the truth. Now, it's one thing where we can have different preferences, right? Like we can debate which uh, cereal tastes the best. And it's very subjective. I said, but something like, are we on this flight right now? Are you and I actually in person having a conversation? Is two and two equal to four? Those things are true or they're not, right? So two plus two is either four or it's not. It can't be four and five. And if it's four, it was four yesterday. It's going to be four tomorrow. It was four a thousand years ago and it'll be four a thousand years from now. And I said in a similar way, it can't be true for me that God created the universe and us. And true for you that the universe created us, cares about us, provides for us, all that kind of stuff. So it's got to be one or the other. Either Jesus was the Son of God or he was not. Either Jesus did establish the Catholic Church and it is, you know, the body of Christ on earth. It is the one true church or it's not. Right? We live in this, this very liberalistic, and I mean liberalism is like classical liberalism, teaches that kind of like all things can go and like, um, you know, the individual is the, the primary source of authority and the individual is like the primary organ, organism, if you will, or like uh, unit, the primary unit of society, right? Not the family, not the church, but the individual. And so the individual has, has ultimate authority, basically. And that's what we see with a lot of interpretation. I even was having a conversation with my barber today who's a great Christian man. I just met him, his new barber. You can kind of see if you're watching on YouTube, you can see my crispiness here. Um, and he, he's, like I said, great Christian man. I really enjoyed him. I really love talking with him. But you could tell he was talking about like gauging and kind of judging different preachers and pastors and churches on, do they teach what the Bible teaches? Which is great. But who's to say whether they're doing that or not? What is the ultimate thing that you judge that against, right? Like, is it just you? Like, he talked about correcting his parents and going to churches that are not Bible-focused and are not teaching the Bible. And it's like, well, who, who's te- like, who determines whether or not something is actually being interpreted correctly? Because, obviously, there's so many different denominations because people come to different conclusions. People read the same passages, the same Bible, the same books, 
and come to different conclusions. So who determines that ultimately? Right? And so that's what I had to get her to understand. I'm like, can we agree on that? Like, does that make sense to you? Do you agree with me that two plus two is either four or it's not? Like, there's some things that are just true. And then I went from there to explain why I don't think the universe creates us or cares about us because the universe is inanimate. And so I'm like, yeah, I hear that a lot, you know? And one thing I don't understand about the universe is like, if the universe created us, who created the universe? To say that the universe provides us with opportunities and is influencing our lives. I said, to me, that really sounds a lot like, you know, Native Americans and people way back in the day, thousands of years ago, the Egyptians, right? The Mayans who worshiped the sun and the moon and the stars. And I said, the reason why they did that, and and even before that, you know, worshiping water and things like that, the elements. So the reason why they did that was because it was just as far out as they could see. Right? Like, as far as you knew, there was the sun, the earth, and the moon, and then the stars in the sky. And so they worshiped the sun as if the sun was a god because it was like all that they knew. Then we learned that there's a solar system, and then people have, they're named after different, you know, uh, mythical gods and things like that. And then you have um, the, uh, the galaxy, right? The Milky Way galaxy, where we found out that we're a part of the galaxy. And then it's like, wouldn't wouldn't the term the universe, right? The the universe that you refer to as being this omnipotent, you know, uh, omnipotent and omniscient kind of being, wouldn't that have once been just referred to as the solar system and then as the uh, the galaxy and now the universe because that's what we know of. And then I'm like, but still you have this issue of before the Big Bang, the universe didn't exist, so. I said, if you had a box, right? Like, imagine if you could create a glass box with nothing inside of it, right? No gas, no air. Like, it's impossible to imagine almost, right? But if you can just kind of conceive, imagine, like, just figuratively think about having a box with nothing in it, how long would it take for that nothing to create this? Out of an explosion from nothing. It would never happen, right? It'd be very safe to say that it would never happen. I also love two more really, really... um great analogies of this that kind of point towards the existence of God, right? Is you have, or maybe three more that I shared was, I was like, um, think about, I was like, even, even if it did, right? Not only did this just snap and explode and out of nothing, we got this, but think about how complicated the world is. Think about how wild it is that we have life on this planet. Not only do we have life on this planet, I'm like, you and I are literally flying across the globe right now in an airplane, having a conversation with complex brains and hearts. I was like, even just to think about the complexity of the human eye and how we're able to see is ridiculous. And I love this analogy always. It's like, it's the, it's the equivalent of how perfect things are in this planet and, and humanity. And like, I'm like, have you seen New York City and like what we have and what we've created? I'm like, even just the complexity of that, or even if you just think of one human infant, right? And like reproduction, procreation, better name procreation. Think about how ridiculous that is. I'm like, that's the equivalent of if you put a bunch, if you took apart a car, I love this analogy. If you take apart a car and you just take every nut and bolt, everything off, and you just set everything inside of a garage, and then you set off a bomb inside that garage and the car came up perfectly running, Everything in that explosion, everything got screwed on right in the right place at the right. 
and, and the car was running at the end of that. That would be the Big Bang Theory. And to think that that just happened spontane- spontaneously with no <laughs> intelligent design and no control is ridiculous. Like, it's pretty absurd. You don't, you don't have to be a genius to realize that's actually more far-fetched than thinking that a god created it. And so that's another one that's really big. The other one is is the you know the Aristotelian approach of the unmoved mover. So a great way to think about this is you can trace back every day to the day before, right? But eventually there had to be a point when there was nothing. So in order for something to move, right? We know this from physics. A a, a an object at rest stays at rest, an object in motion stays in motion. Something had to exist outside of time and space to create all of this. Another way of looking at this, another great analogy is if we were inside the Empire State Building and there, or, you know, some Sears Tower, some really, really tall building, right? Where if you had no floors in that building, right? It was just the frame and you could see as high up as you could see, right? You obviously wouldn't be able to see the top because you just can't see that far. But it's like, imagine this. And then imagine there was a chandelier, right? On a chain, like hanging all the way down to where we were standing. It's like you might, you know, you might not be able to see to the very top of that, but at some point that chain has to be attached to a fixed point, right? Because you could go back chain link after chain link after chain link after chain link. And it's like, even though I can't see it, reason tells you there has to be something up there that this is anchored to. And that's the unmoved mover. And that's what most of us call God. But to say that some part of that chain is the anchor point. It's like saying the universe is our God. Saying that creation created creation doesn't make any sense. There has to be a creator. It's the only logical outcome. You might not agree with Catholicism based on that. You might not agree with Judaism or Islam or whatever. But something had to do it. And it wasn't the universe. Because that doesn't make any damn sense. So we talked about that for a while. (laughs) Right? So now I'm like, all right, relativism is bullshit. And uh, so is this universe stuff. So let's let's move on, right? And we did. And she actually started taking notes, which are actually going to be kind of my notes for this whole discussion. And so now I want to talk to you about some of our more political-focused things. So we talked about capitalism versus socialism. And one of the main things I really tried to deconstruct was this idea that the United States is uniquely evil, right? Like that we are the problem of all of the world, right? Because this is common. And I'm telling you, like th- these talking points and these things that so many people believe are just spouted or they're reiterated over and over again in so many different ways that people actually start to believe this. Largely because people are dumb, but also it's not their fault, right? Some people are just like indoctrinated in these things. And and I'm not saying that people are dumb for believing it because they get so immersed. We're so immersed in these things. One way that Ben Shapiro often puts it is that we look at the vices of the West as though they are specifically unique to the West. And we look at the strengths and the positive sides of the West and act as though those things are universal to the world. Now, what do I mean by that? We look at slavery like slavery is a Western construct right like slavery was invented in the united states of america we had the worst slavery ever we had the only slavery ever like that's how it's kind of viewed if you think about the way that slavery is often discussed now take something like capitalism and prosperity we act like every country in the world is as prosperous and 
you know, truly wonderful um, as ours is. And if you've ever traveled outside of America, you know that that is not the case. And a lot of people don't recognize that. And so we started talking about, like, why, why does capitalism work? Why does socialism not work? And so we went pretty deep into those two topics. But then I really want to talk about, you know, you can see here in some of her notes, she talked about, like, how we own patents. Like, I really learned, especially in the United States of Socialism, like, how much the invention of patents and personal property and being able to protect people of what their mind, intellectual property, being able to treat intellectual property as though it was physical property, like what that did for ingenuity in the United States of America, for innovation. I mean, it's incredible when you look at the things that we've created. It is ridiculous. And I feel like people never recognize or understand this. But do you see NBA stars and actresses and actors and like Luke Combs is doing this whole Europe-wide tour. Like, do you know how 1% of the 1% musicians have to be to get that type of reception in the United States of America or in any other country that are coming from other countries? How many, how many, how many Chinese musicians are selling out shows in Sydney? How many Russians are? How many people, how many Australian musicians are selling out shows in Brazil? Not a ton, right? But we have athletes and, and uh, actors and um, musicians, and they go around the world and they sell out shows. People watch the NBA around the world. The only thing that's remotely close to that is soccer in, in Europe being watched here, and it's not even close to the same. They, they sell out NFL stadiums in Mexico. It's ridiculous. The way we dominate in sports at the Olympics, the way you see iPhones used throughout the world, our, our technology and our resources and our brands. You see McDonald's in Lithuania. We went to McDonald's like every other day in Lithuania. And, and you think of like an Ikea, right? As like being an example of, of something from another country that's, doing well in the United States. Like, what else from them do we have? There's not, I mean, we just, we dominate the world in so many different things. And it's like these patents and capitalism made a huge difference in that. Think of the countries that are the shittiest places to live. Venezuela. Um, soon Nicaragua again. Cuba. North Korea. China. Russia. What do they all have in common? Socialism. This is, this is basic math, right? But people really don't know about it. And so it was fun to actually get to talk about some of it. But then what I really wanted to talk about, what I want to share with some of you guys, is this was kind of our next term, was this idea of cognitive dissonance. This idea of cognitive dissonance if you do not know what cognitive dissonance is maybe i'll google it real quick to get like an actual definition um because all right so the oxford definition of cognitive dissonance is the state of having inconsistent thoughts beliefs or attitudes especially as relating to behavioral decisions and attitude change so cognitive dissonance is being the type of person who has pronouns in your Twitter bio and a Ukrainian flag as your profile picture 
and raves about our need to support Ukraine, even though it's illegal to be to for two men to get married in Ukraine. And even though they made trans women stay back and fight because they treated them as biological males. That's cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is having hashtag BLM and hashtag pro-abortion in your Instagram bio. Even though Planned Parenthood was founded by a staunch racist. Um, and they continuously throughout their entire existence target minority neighborhoods to actively try to practice basically eugenics and make less minorities exist in the world through the practice of abortion, right? Cognitive dissonance is saying you care about inner city black people and ending generational poverty, but you're also pro open borders, even though illegal immigration hurts inner city black people the most by taking away their jobs um, and undercutting them, leading to more generational poverty. Uh, cognitive dissonance is believing in defunding the police while also saying you support safer and more, uh, yeah, more opportunities to thrive for inner city black people from your comfort of your white suburbs. That's cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is being a feminist and pro-woman and then cheering as biological men dressed up as women dominate women's sports. That's cognitive dissonance. And so what we got into, and one of my favorite things to discuss, nobody covers this, in my opinion, better than Ben Shapiro. I'm trying to remember which book he covers it the best in, either in the authoritarian moment or how to destroy America in three easy steps. Both are great, though. I recommend reading both. Ben talks about the coalition that the second uh, presidential run of Barack Obama brought together. And we, conservatives, often look at this and we're like, how in the world? Because these, these groups, so this like democratic coalition that exists now, they have competing interests. What do I mean by that? Barack Obama brought together this coalition of Democrats. And you know what the coalition is now. It's uh, white women as feminists. It's black people under the guise of extreme racism and, racism and oppression. It's uh, pro-abortion people. It's LGBT people. It's people who are pro-illegal immigration and illegal immigrants themselves. Um, in many ways, it's criminals because Democrats are extremely lenient on criminals. Um, that's kind of the, and, and Muslims are also in that. So Muslims are also in that. Um, I'm trying to think, who am I forgetting? I think I said LGBT, that whole crew is in there for sure. Um, and those are kind of, that's kind of it, right? And then you have obviously like kind of subsets of that, like teachers unions and things like that. Um, try to really bring in healthcare workers through the pandemic and stuff. But that's kind of the general coalition, right? He really brought together the LGBT, feminists, black people. And it's all, this is like where the oppression Olympics exists, right? So everybody who competes in the oppression Olympics is a part of the democratic coalition, right? So who's the most oppressed today? As we battle for this status of greatest victimhood, who's the most oppressed among us? This fun game we get to play, that's the democratic coalition. They put those, those games on um, and we all watch in horror.
So what I pointed out to her is I asked her about all of these topics. And then I said, oh, and people who are anti-gun, I guess, would also be in that. Um, I'm like, what do you think about gun control? What do you think about immigration? What do you think about abortion? What do you think about uh, LGBT issues? All of that stuff. And then I think what, what people don't realize a lot of times in this coalition is that these things actively work against you. For example, this is another example of cognitive dissonance. I forgot the name earlier in my litany of cognitive dissonance. Most people on the extreme left hate Israel and are very pro um, all Islamic states, especially in including those who are very extreme. And that's why you see places like New York Post or New York Times, the Washington Post, when a an Islamic terrorist dies or is killed at the hands of um, freedom fighters. You'll see the obituary and the columns that are written are much more kind to them than they are to any American conservatives, but also people from abroad. The queen right now is getting more flack than like Osama bin Laden did when he died from the left, right? And so that doesn't make a lot of sense. Why doesn't it? Well, because almost all those Islamic extremists would literally kill homosexual people. There's literally countries in the Middle East where it's illegal, like punishable by death, to be uh, homosexual, like actively homosexual. Some of them, it's illegal to be homosexual at all. Like just the same-sex attraction in and of itself is worthy of the death penalty in, in some of those places. And especially, I mean, that's Sharia law, right? Like that is extreme, like by the book, like legalistic Islam. And that's wild. But there's this separation, right? Where it's like, I can champion China while I, and, and applaud them while I claim to be a defender of human rights and progress, right? These countries where women literally can't drive or be educated are being defended by feminists. It's wild. But there's this, this kind of dissonance. And so I'm just telling her these things and kind of juxtaposing these things for the first time I think potentially in her life of showing her like, yeah, you see how these are kind of competing? Like black people in illegal immigration, feminists in the LGBT community. That's kind of problematic, right? For the long-term success of the Democratic Party. If people ever, like for, for 10 minutes, just for 10 consecutive minutes, turn their brains on, it would all crumble. But luckily for them, they do a great job of just kind of bouncing you from one thing to the next without letting you go too deep into one particular issue. Right. So it's like, yeah, we're going to just kind of, you know, jump around here and there. And then, uh, yeah, you know, they always, they're always something to distract you with. Right. We're always just going to keep it moving, keep it moving, keep people outraged, keep people crying, make people too sensitive, make people um, easily offendable. Right. And it's like, that can't be the long-term move of the country. But I want to talk about this now that I've kind of brought up the queen. I kind of want to end with, with talking about her. Because this is something that's extraordinarily interesting to me. Is how we have this level of cognitive dissonance around the queen. And what I mean by that is... And it's really not even cognitive dissonance. It, cognitive dissonance, when it's realized and still 
maintained is just hypocrisy. And there's plenty of hypocrisy to go around. That is for damn sure. But with, with the queen, it's been really interesting, this whole idea of she was a colonialist. The queen has basically no power. Like, it is an absolute figurehead position. So where people get this idea that, oh, Queen Elizabeth was just calling shots is mind-blowing to me. Because she just absolutely was not. It doesn't make any sense. And so she, she did not choose to do basically anything that happened. And I don't understand this idea that she was this super powerful and destructive and um, terrible person. Sorry about that. So I'm about to play this. Uh, I'm trying to pull up this clip, find the clip on uh, the Matt Wall show, because this was really, really good. And I really thought it was powerful because one thing that's so interesting, right? We think about colonialism and you hear when you hear leftists talk about the United States of America fuddling around in other foreign affairs and messing with other countries. There's no doubt about it that we're not undefeated in morality when it comes to uh, messing around in other countries, right? Like coups and all kinds of shit that the CIA and we don't even know half the stuff that's going on in other countries. At the same time, we've done some pretty good things. We basically saved South Korea from being North Korea, which is pretty huge. We staved off nuclear war and Russia taking over the world. We staved off and kept uh, Nazis from taking over the world. Um, I would say that's pretty important. Uh, we basically ended two world wars almost single-handedly. Came in and just like tore shit down, right? Like just came in powerfully, made a huge difference. And there's been places where we've done good things. There's been places where we've done bad things. But I mean, it's net positive. There's no doubt about it. It's absolutely net positive. But what we don't realize is we talk about, like, people will literally complain about Vietnam or Korean War, things like that, where the United States goes abroad, or Afghanistan, to spread democracy, equality, basic human rights. Things that, oh my goodness, I'm going to get worked up. Things that are actual basic human rights. Right? Like, like individual liberty, like not getting your head chopped off at the town square because you think differently. That's a human right. Um, the ability to have your own shit without somebody just coming and taking it from you by force. That's a human right. Um, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's not just an American thing, even though we have it in our document. That's actually like reason deduced that. Right? That's just true. That you're endowed by a creator with inalienable rights. And those rights are what, when violated, are what we call human rights violations. But what these dumbasses on the left have done in a lot of places is say, okay, um, we're just going to use the term human right for everything and say that. Um, yeah, all this, uh, you know, going green stuff, all this environmental shit, like that's all human rights violations when we don't take care of that. 
you have a human right to a certain minimum wage. You have a human right to abortion. You have a human right to get married and, and legally be protected to have sex with whoever you want and have other people celebrate that. Not just not just legally protected to have sex with whoever you want, because there's an argument to make for that for sure within individual liberty. But the ability to not only have sex with whoever you want, but everybody else has to accept it, tolerate it, not just that, but actually celebrate it and acknowledge it. You have the human right to to have to force other people to pay for your college tuition, or a human right to force other people to pay for you to get your uh, your willy chopped off and have a fake uh, other body part put on you. You have a human right to that. Those are hot takes when it comes to human rights. Not a lot of philosophers would believe or would agree with that, or people with you know more than thirteen brain cells in general, let alone philosophers. But it's amazing how we hate exporting the ideas of horrible capitalism and the ideas of horrific individual liberty and democracy. But we're okay with the COVID relief bill containing, uh, you know, money to go to Iran to spread trans ideology. Let me see if I can find this. Uh, Let me see if I can find this online. So... Yeah, so it was like $5 billion or something like that that was supposed to go to Iran in the midst of all this, which is wild. Yeah, and, and it was like, these things are supposed to go and, and help like indoctrinate these people and promote these ideologies that they fundamentally don't agree with. And they don't want. And they don't want anything to do with any of this. I mean, it's just like it, it happens all over the place where it's like we send all this money around the world to pay for abortions and to pay for all these things to, to countries that are more pro-life than us. All right. So I want to try to play this clip for you. Let's see if we can hear it well uh, if I play it for my computer. Worldwide attention a few years ago when you said there was, quote, no room for homosexuality in Kenyan society. I want to know whether you still stand by that. We have um, Kenyan law. We have Kenyan constitution, we have our tradition, we have our customs. We will continue to respect other people's customs as they respect our customs and our tradition. I am very clear, I am very clear that we respect everybody and what they believe in, but we also have what we believe in and we expect to be respected for what we believe in. So before I ask you to flesh that out and what exactly does it mean, I want to play you what President Kenyatta said to me about this issue. I will not engage in a subject that is of no, it's, uh, it, it is not of any major importance to the people and the Republic of Kenya. This is not an issue as you would want to put it of, um, human rights to this. This is an issue of society, of our own base as a culture, as a people, regardless of which community you come from. This is not acceptable. This is not agreeable. Now, what we've seen here so far are two leading figures in Kenya trying to explain Kenyan culture to an outsider. They're both quite patient and gracious, which doesn't surprise me at all based on my own experience in the country. You know, I went there with my own very stupid questions. 
much like the stupid questions Amin Poor is asking. And everyone I talked to was very kind and accommodating. Uh, and so that's really interesting, right? So that was uh, the Kenyan president being interviewed on CNN by some dumbass woman, uh, excuse me, by some uh, wonderful reporter on CNN, like digging into this man about his stance on same-sex marriage or homosexuality. And he's like, this isn't that important to us. And she's like, this is a human rights issue. And he's like, he goes on to say in another clip, he's like, bro, people literally are dying of hunger in my country. We have millions and millions of young people who don't have jobs. We don't have national security. I don't, uh, frankly, give a shit about same-sex marriage. And this, like, how is that not ideological colonialism? As we go abroad and we pour money into spreading LGBT ideology and into spreading uh, pro-abortion ideology and pouring money into paying for abortions in other countries... How is that not ideological colonialism? It's only ideological colonialism when the right does it. If we do it with things like democracy, traditional American values, individual liberty, capitalism, right? These things that actually work and matter. These things that actually create the world in which you have the time, luxury, and freedom to give a shit about whether a grown-ass man can have gender reassignment surgery and compete against women. That's that's what that's what American individualism, liberty, democracy, and capitalism has created. Something that's so nice that you can have a computer in your pocket, in your air-conditioned home, in your high-rise building, with your gender studies degree, making six figures, and be upset and offended about somebody not putting pronouns in their Twitter bio or their email signature. And not only all of that, but you can actually raise that grievance up and you are so comfort and protected that somebody will actually pay attention to you complaining about that. Likely somebody high up in your company. That's how great it is here for the LGBT community. And we don't realize that it's not even that this Kenyan president just doesn't, doesn't care about gay people. Dude just has bigger fish to fry. Because my guy's got starving people. And turns out when you have starving people, trans women in sports doesn't really matter. Right? Uh, when you have these issues, it's like not that big of a deal. Because there's like real shit going on. And so... That should tell us something. Like, people, people from the comfort of the United States of America will look at this Kenyan president and be like, what a terrible man, what a monster. And it's like, dude, isn't it amazing? And Matt Walsh talks about this. He points this out. He's like, we love multi multiculturalism, right? The left is supposed to celebrate multiculturalism, but they hate other cultures that don't agree with everything they agree with. Then they silence them and they force them to change and become more like the West. As we deteriorate and destroy ourselves, we want to spread that idiocy and this delusion out into the rest of the world. We want other countries to also desire to kill their own children, to reassign the gender of a five to seven year old, um, to teach, yeah, sexual things to kindergartners. We like this should be exported. Of the things we have going on in the United States of America, the left looks at 
uh, calling a girl a boy's name and dressing her as a boy and giving her a boy's haircut. Um, we look at forcing taxpayers to pay for trans surgeries of adults, for taxpayers to pay for abortion up till nine months up to the moment of birth. We're like, that's the stuff we should be pushing overseas. Not this bullshit about people being able to vote for their leaders or individual property or individual rights or capitalism that proves to create the most abundant and prosperous society the world's ever seen. Keep that shit at home. What we need to be putting out to the world is abortion, LGBT ideology, and uh, anti-racism and equity. That would be a great American contribution to the society. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm crazy. I'm open to maybe I'm the issue, right? Like maybe perhaps I'm part of the problem. Maybe I just don't get it. But all this to say, bringing us back home, when you have conversations with people, when you have conversations with people on the left and you really talk to them, you often see how misguided, misinformed, and shallow, and I don't mean shallow in like a harsh judgmental way, but just absolutely not deep their understanding of these issues really is. And this is why, my friends, we actually talk about these things and we talk about what we believe in. And I paint for her this picture that I learned from these books that I've read and that I learned from history class and from paying attention and not being tainted by the pessimism and, and hatred that, that runs throughout our society now towards our own country. And I'm like, yeah, these are some of the things that make America actually really exceptional. And it was a very positive conversation. It was very uplifting for me. And you're going to have people, the extreme 3% to 1% on the left, who are not going to hear any of this stuff. They're just going to get triggered. They're going to scream. They're going to yell. They're going to fight, whatever. But a lot of people in that middle, even the middle of the left, are willing to hear some things that might open their eyes. But you have to be educated. You have to be knowledgeable. You have to be ready to go into that conversation and be able to teach somebody what is socialism? What is capitalism? And here's the thing. This is why this is so important. And some people be like, well, that's for you, not for me. Stop that. Because who the hell is going to teach your kids? Like, we're playing in the homeschool. And if you're not, and you're going to send your kids to Catholic school or, God forbid, to public schools in most of the places of this country, you better have good answers to some of these questions. And be able to actually explain it and teach it and reinforce what the church teaches on these things. Because the church is staunchly anti-socialism and pretty much all of the things that I've railed against today. But these are fun and exciting things. So these are why you have these conversations with your spouse, with your friends or whatever. So you can be ready when you get face to face with somebody else. Where I don't have to be triggered. I'm not going to be judged at the end of my life what she ends up believing or taking away from this conversation. But I am called to be bold. I am called to ask bold questions and to share from my heart, from my own experience, why I love America, why I believe God exists, why I believe in the Catholic Church, why I'm going to raise my kids in the Catholic Church, why I got married in the Catholic Church. That's the stuff we can always share, no matter how educated you are about some of these other topics. So I want to encourage you to do that. I hope this was fun. I've been wanting to do this one for a while and just kind of recap this conversation. Um, it was a great, great time for me getting to share this with you. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it. I'd really appreciate it if you left us a review. If you could leave us a five-star review, we get hatred, especially after episodes like this where I talk about socialism or trans things, whatever. And so if you could leave us a five-star review, it goes a long way. Greatly appreciate it. The podcast just recently hit 76,000 
downloads all time. And that was pretty exciting for me. So thank you all for listening. I hope that you continue to joy, enjoy and draw value from the Seeking Excellence podcast. And remember, the importance of Seeking Excellence is that you can be the type of person who's going to sit down with somebody and potentially change the trajectory of their lives and their kids' lives by sharing the truth and the love that's been given to you by our Lord, by our church. And so fight hard to be your best. God bless. Know of my prayers for you.